Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is Bruce Rokas, and I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Cross Point. And I'm glad that you're here, because we're in a fantastic series called 50 Days of Transformation. Now, some of you are new because I met you this morning, and uh, I'd like to bring you up to speed, but i just tell you this. God has seven areas of your life that are key areas that He wants transformed. We started with the most important, our spiritual health. Then we looked at our physical health in week two. In week three, we looked at our mental health. Week four, our emotional health. And today, if you get your outlines out, we're going to be looking at our relational health. We're calling today's message, Facing the Fears that Ruin Relationships. And we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the book of Genesis, and take a look at that very first relationship where all the problems started. Do you remember the story? It said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. There was darkness upon the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Only God can speak things into existence. Then he divided the waters above from the waters below. And then you go on through the, the six days of creation. And on the sixth day, his ultimate creation was man. And he took some dirt from the ground. And he breathed into Adam the breath of life. And he became a living soul. And God said, it's all yours. Here's the garden. It's perfect. You know, we live in a fallen world. The world that you and I see today is nothing like that first world that God created. Somebody says, oh, our world is so broken. Why why didn't God create a perfect place? He did. The garden was perfect. Man was perfect. See, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. How do you think that man and God could have fellowship one with another and talk with one another in the cool of the garden unless man was perfect? Adam was perfect. But Adam's starting to, you know, enjoy the garden. I mean, this is really kind of good. God says, you know, tend to it. It's yours. Uh, Tend just means to to pick and eat. Later, you'll see a curse fall on man, and he has to work and toil to eat. But back then, it was just really kind of neat. He's he's hanging out, and he's saying, oh, look at there, a mate for the monkey, and a mate for the kangaroo, and a mate for the giraffe, and hey, where's mine, right? At some point, he got that. I think God wanted him to get to that point. When there was no help meat found suitable for this man called Adam, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him, and from his side, he removed a rib, and he fashioned a woman. Now, whenever I do a wedding, I I tend to want to play this point up. I'll say to the man, now look, mister, she wasn't taken from your foot that you might trot on her. And listen, ma'am, she wasn't taken from his head that you might rule over him. But look at the dynamics of this, the side, side by side. When I'm performing a, a wedding, I love a couple standing side by side as, as joint participants, co-equals working together for a common cause and a common good to serve their God. That's the way that God intended it to be. But things went terribly wrong they started off right this woman named eve was created and adam woke up from that deep sleep and said whoa 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 woman right 
He's seeing this beautiful, gorgeous woman for the very first time. And she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the two became one. And, and everything was just fantastic. They lived in a perfect world, a perfect paradise, a perfect marriage. There was no sickness in the garden, no sorrow, no suffering, no jealousy, no manipulation. They were the only perfect couple that has ever existed on this planet because by definition, after the fall, there's nobody perfect. You give me an imperfect man and an imperfect woman after the fall, and guess what? Even if they do get married, it's not going to be a perfect marriage because only the first one was. And look what happened there. Well, you know the rest of the story. Uh, God gave a commandment to Adam. He says, now Adam, here's what I, here, here, I only have one commandment for you. Uh, I, I want you to leave my tree alone. All the trees you may freely eat, but the day you do this, this tree will be the day you surely die. And you make sure Eve knows that. See, that commandment was given to Adam. Adam gave it to Eve. Did you know that? And so when the serpent comes along to tempt, who does he tempt? Adam or Eve? See, Eve has got hearsay. Adam got it straight from God. And when Satan tempts you, I guarantee you, he will never tempt you to be like him. He will tempt you to be like who? God. Now, Eve, did God really say? You can't eat from this tree? Yeah, that's what, what's what, what my husband told me. See a little doubt there? <laughs> that's what he said. Oh, well, you know, the real reason he doesn't want you to eat from that is because the day you eat thereof will be the day that you become like God. You won't die. Satan says, you deserve it. You know best. And she looked and she, you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I mean, it was good for food. It was desirable to make one wise like God. And my husband says, I'm not even supposed to touch it. Well, she, I think she went up and touched it. I think. And look at there, nothing happened. And then she picked it, and then she ate it, and then she gave to her husband to eat. Our story picks up in verse 6 of chapter 3. So Eve ate some of the fruit, then she also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate. Immediately their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. Shame is introduced into the world for the very first time. Up to this point, there's been no shame. Sin enters the world. Along with sin comes shame at their nakedness. Next slide. Just keep it going. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from God among the trees. But God called out to Adam, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you coming, and I was afraid. Fear is now associated with what? Sin. Fear had never entered the world before. Shame had never entered the world before. Now you have both shame and 
fear. Why? Because of sin. Because I was naked, so I hid. Now you got hiding. They'd never hidden from God before. It was in the cool of the garden. God would come, and they would talk, and they would have fellowship, and it was a wonderful time. But now they're hiding from the very Creator that they love so much. Then God asked, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God, whenever He asks a question, He's not asking for information. He's like a lawyer. Lawyers in court never ask a question that they don't already know the answer to. God knows the answer. Adam said, oh yeah, uh, well, you gave me this woman. (laughs) See some of the blame going toward God? (laughs) I didn't ask for this woman. You gave me this woman, and she gave me the fruit, so I ate it. Then God said to Eve, why did you do this? Eve replied, the serpent made me do it. The devil made me do it. Ah, you know, by the way, God, didn't you make the serpent? I didn't make the serpent. And that serpent deceived me, and I ate. So God said to Eve, because you disobeyed me, you'll have greater trouble in pregnancy and great pain in childbirth. Any women want to give a testimony to this? Okay, I see some hands. All right, so if you had childbearing pains, you can thank your great, 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 great grandmother Eve. And though you'll desire your husband, He is going to lord it over you. Next verse. Then God said to Adam, Because you also disobeyed me and sinned with your wife, the ground you work is now cursed. Now work enters the picture for the first time. Up to this point, they were tending the garden. It just means light work, busy work, pick and eat. Now... A curse on the ground, and though you'll get to eat what you planted, your fields will have three things, weeds and thorns and thistles. And for the rest of your life, you'll have to sweat and work hard to get your food until you yourselves, yourself are returned to the dirt that I used to create you. In this story we see three basic fears that ruin relationships. Fear number one, my fear of exposure makes me distant. Boy, they got distant from God real quick, didn't they? They hid from God. They were afraid of God. And you know what? A lot of us in our relationships are afraid to let people know who we really are. And so we keep our distance as well. Sometimes you hear a wife say, I wish I could get closer to my husband. Or I wish I could get closer to my wife. Here's the truth. There's a whole lot about you that you don't like. And so you hide that. You keep that to yourself because you think... Well, if I show that person that I love who I really am, and they see this and don't accept it, because I don't even like this part of me, well, then they might not like it either, and then I'm really up a creek. Does that make sense? And so we hide, and we don't trust each other, and we don't confide in one another, and we don't lean on each other for help with our weaknesses and our shortcomings, and we pretend like everything is okay as we keep our distance. You can't get close to someone that you're not open with. Adam, Genesis 3, verse 9, God called to Adam, 
Where are you hiding? Who are you hiding from this morning? You say, I'm not hiding from God. He knows all about me. Okay, but that relationship here on earth, who are you hiding from? Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Whenever God asks a question, He already knows the answer to the question. He's not asking for information when He says, Adam, where are you? He just wants Adam to own up to where Adam is. He wants Adam to come clean and own up to the problem. Now, in your relationships, if you want your marriages to be transformed, then you're going to have to admit it's in trouble. If you don't admit it, if you're always saying, oh man, my, my, my marriage is great. My relationships are great. As long as you are in denial, your relationships are never going to get transformed. They're never going to get better. You've got to open up with one another and stop hiding from each other and say, yeah, I'm an imperfect man like Adam. I'm an imperfect woman like Eve. And we both fell. And we're both broken. And we need each other. And we need God if we're going to fix this. I was afraid... I hid. Fear always causes us to hide. And so I'm wondering what you're hiding from this morning. What is fear causing you to hide from? God doesn't want you to fear. He wants you to face your fear and stop faking it like everything's okay. Because everything isn't okay. And it says they were naked. Now there's something about being naked that just exposes you and you're very, very vulnerable. I don't know if you ever had a dream where you walked out of your house wearing nothing but your birthday suit. Well, I, I tell you, it's a scary dream. It's a nightmare. And, it, and you think it's scary for the person having it? Just think of all the people that have to see you. It's very scary. But I think Adam and Eve not only are going through a physical exposure, but emotional exposure. They're, going, they're, they're being emotionally uncovered. The word naked means to be vulnerable, out in the open, unprotected, and that's a very, very scary thing. And this is kind of a side note. Here's what's so cool about Jesus. Have you noticed that the closer you get to somebody, now we've been in about week five of our growth groups, and our growth groups are opening up more, we're feeling more comfortable with one another, uh, we're being more vulnerable, we're being more honest, we're being more real, and we're lifting our windows of our lives and sharing, yeah, I got a weakness there, and you know, I pray for me in this, and that's a good thing. And, and even when you think you know somebody, uh, let's say you spend a weekend with them and you go on a little overnight camping trip and you go, man, I've never seen that side to that person. And the little chinks in the armor begin to come out, right? And you go, ah, they're not the person I really thought they were. But the longer the disciples hung out with Jesus, the more perfect he looked. No chinks in the armor. You say, well, why did they believe he was the Son of God and why were they willing to die horrible deaths saying they saw the resurrected Jesus? Not just because of the resurrection, but they saw his perfect life. And they said, man, no, only God can be like Jesus. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. 
Now that was a side note. But the damaging thing, the damage that fear causes in relationships happens in three stages if we follow this pattern. The first stage, first phase is shame. Verse 7a, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Fear is often based in shame. When you carry shame, here's some tendencies of people that are carrying shame. Here's one of the ways you know you're carrying shame. You're easily embarrassed. You're more self-conscious. You're more nervous. You're fearful of humiliation. All these are signs that you've not given your shame totally and completely to Jesus yet. Let him take it. They were naked. They were exposed. And so were you when you sinned. But you know what? Jesus said, you know what they did to me before they beat me and crucified me? They took off my clothes. They stripped me naked. You know, our Hollywood movies, we clean it up a little bit. You know, you got a little girder or something. Not so under Roman crucifixion. You were completely exposed to humiliate you. Jesus, why are you feeling the shame? I've been exposed for you. I took your shame. Give me your shame. What God has forgiven, I can forget. If you're still holding on to your shame and your guilt, you're trying to play Jesus. Don't do that. Give your shame to Him. So shame is the first part. The second phase is the cover-up. We try to conceal ourselves, or our true selves. Verse 7b says, So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up. Now fig leaves, not going to do a great job of covering up, right? We've got much more sophisticated ways to cover up nowadays. What ways do you use to cover up your fear? Some people use humor. Um, maybe you were the class clown growing up at your school, and, and every, every class has one. But let me tell you something about a class clown. They're using that as a cover-up for some deep hurt or some deep pain or something they don't want you to see. And so they put on the facade that everything's funny and everything's fine and humor's where it's at. I'm a good guy. No, it covers up insecurities. Or maybe you present an image of yourself that you're really all put together. You know, there are some people like that. You know, you, you see it in the way they wear their hair, their nails are perfect, maybe the car that they drive, maybe the, 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 the expensive purse that they have, uh, whatever it is. Maybe it's the sophisticated words that they use. All a facade. Here's one that's really prevalent today. Hiding behind an online image. Can you say Facebook or Snapchat? or I don't even know what's popular today. I can't keep up with email, all right? But sometimes what people do is they'll take pictures of themselves and they share it on their social media and, you know, a selfie at, with Mickey at the happiest place on earth, and so I must be happy. And we put on this facade, faking it. And really all it's revealing is our fears, because 
Nobody has a perfect life. Nobody has the perfect media life. Stop pretending you've got it all together. Stop the cover-up. Stop the shame. Phase three is distance from God. Verse eight. Then they hid from God among the trees. Like God can't see through a tree. Well, when we start fearing God out of shame, we will hide. And God doesn't want you to hide. Say, God, okay, this is the real me. You can talk to God about anything. and Say, God, yes, there's an area in my life I am ashamed of. I don't like it. I don't want it. If I could push the button right now, God, I would get rid of it. Wouldn't you? There's a bunch of buttons that would be pushed right now. God says, I'll take that away right now, right this instant. But it doesn't work that way. But he does want you to be honest with him. You can share your intent with him. Say, God, this is what I want in my life. And then start working to that end. The starting point is not hiding anymore and acting like God doesn't really see me in the trees. Open up to him. God doesn't expect perfection. Perfection. But you know what he does expect? Honesty. He wants you to be honest with it. He's your dad. You can talk to your dad about anything. And then after you share that thing that you thought he didn't know about, he says, I knew about it. And I am not ashamed of you. I am not ashamed to call you my son. I am not ashamed to call you my daughter. Shame, cover-up, distance. My fear of exposure makes me distant. That's why your relationships are not as close as you want them to be. Distance, fear, shame. Number two, my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. And so we move from hiding to hurling, excusing to accusing. We start blaming, we start attacking, we start pointing fingers. I don't know if you husbands and wives ever fight. Probably not. This is probably at my house. I'll say, why did you do that? And you know what comes at me? Well, you do it too. <laughs> yeah, I know, but right now I'm talking about you. <laughs> right? You, you probably never had fights like that. Petty, stupid stuff. But we tend to attack and then attack back, and we never deal with the problem. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. Fact, the more I fear disapproval, the more I'll point out the faults in others. And isn't it amazing how we point out people's faults that we don't have problems with? But we never point out the faults that we have problems with. Oh, yeah, I I don't do that. Yeah, but I do this, this, and this, but we don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about your problems. See, because if I can get get the heat on you, it takes the heat off of me. And we get defensive. Genesis 3.12, God asked, did you eat of what I told you not to eat? And do you remember the answer? You gave me this woman. What I love about Adam is he took it like a man and he blamed his wife. All right. Eve wasn't much better who she blamed, the snake. That sneaky little snake, God, that you made. If you wouldn't have made that sneaky little snake, I never would have been tempted. I never would have been deceived. And so man blames his wife, the 
Woman blames a snake, and women have been calling men snakes for years ever since. (laughs) My fear of exposure makes me distant. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. And then number three, my fear of losing control makes me demanding. See, Adam and Eve, when they were in control, they weren't demanding. When your life is going well, when you've got it together, you're not demanding. It's when your life gets out of control that you start getting demanding. It's when the pressure's on. It's when, uh uh-oh, what am I going to do now? See, Adam and Eve were told, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. It's all yours. You got the entire garden. Man, they were born with the retirement plan. You know, you and I have to work to age 65, and hopefully by then we've earned enough and saved enough, and the house is paid off, and we're not too much in debt, and the kids don't want to move back in, and then whew, we'll be okay. As long as health insurance is there, right? And we're in good health. You know, there's a million worries we have, but, you know, at some point we want all that to come together. Adam and Eve was born with it. Perfect retirement plan just went out the window. The Garden of Eden just went out the window. Perfect health just went out the window because they lived in a perfect place and now they lost their cushy little place and now by the sweat of their brow, they're going to have to work. They lost control of their future. Now what? See, the pressure's on. They had a perfect marriage and they never fought before and now guess what? Tension, pressure, fighting. It all gets back to this. Worry. Shame, anger. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. The more demanding you become, the more demeaning you become, the more dominating you become. You become a bully. You know, behind every bully is a very insecure person. And their life is out of control. And so they find someone smaller than them that they can bully and control. So, the more insecure you are, the greater your need to get your way. Are you one of those people that always want your way? Check your security list. Verse 16. Now, Eve, you're going to have a yearning for your husband. In other words, you're going to love your husband, even though you both messed up, but he will lord it over you. The Berkeley version of this says, he will dominate you. Man, talk about tension in relationships. This is where the battle of the sexes began between husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, men and women in general. This it gets all the way back to this spot right here in space and time. All the misunderstanding, all the confusion, all the conflict, all the jockeying for position, all the tit for tat. It all goes back to this situation where sin entered the picture. It's no fun to live in a relationship like that. If that's the relationship you have right now in your home, that is not a fun place to be. You know what's fun? Is when you're on the same page. Is when, go back to your wedding day. Do you, do you, you are side by side, working together for a common cause and a common goal of 
serving your God together and asking God, God, I'm an imperfect human being. I'm not going to be the perfect husband. I'm not going to be the perfect wife. But God, if we get you in to our marriage, we're going to try to do things your way. And you can still have a good marriage. You can have a great marriage. Your, your best days can still be ahead of you in your marriage and in your relationships if you keep God the focal point. Amen? So what's the antidote? The antidote to this mess is love. Learn to live in God's love. 1 John 4.18 says, Wherever God's love is, there is no fear, because God's perfect love drives out fear. Man, I, I like that verse. Get God's love in your life, in your marriage, and you get fear, get rid of the fear in your relationship. You know, one of the things Jane and I said early on, we said we are never, ever, ever going to use the D word. Now, we know that we're going to have fights because we're imperfect. We know that we're going to have shortcomings but we're never going to use the word divorce. That cannot come up in any conversation. In the heat of battle, that is hands off no. And some of you need to adopt that rule. Not saying you're never going to fight. You will. But there are some things that are hands off. You do not bring up divorce in the heat of battle. Never ever, ever. Hurtful words. Be careful with them. But if you get God's love in you, you get rid of the fear. And now you can open up with one another and you can talk with one another. Someone says, well, isn't the opposite of fear faith? No, the opposite of fear is love. Faith and fear can often coexist in the same container. But the opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. Let me prove it to you. You're driving home. You and your wife went out to dinner, and uh, you, you got your little two-year-old baby there with the babysitter, and as you're driving down your street, you're starting to see some smoke. You wonder what's going on there. And as you around the, the bend, you, you see your house is on fire, and the neighbors are all out there. The fire department hasn't gotten there yet, and you see the babysitters on the outside, but no baby. And you say, where's my baby? Oh, it's in the room. I, I didn't know what to do. What are you doing as a father? What are you doing as a mother? Man, you're running in there. Someone, if you go in there, you can die. Well, if I die, I die trying to save my what? Baby. And when you come out with baby in arm, you may smell like smoke and you may be singed a little bit. And the news reporter from Channel 7 Eyewitness News says, but weren't you afraid? No, I didn't even think about fear. Why? My love for my baby motivated me to run in there. The opposite of fear is love. Get love in your marriage and the fear. See, whenever love comes in the front door of your house, fear has to go out the back door. 
Fear and love cannot abide. So what you do is say, here's the ground rules. We know we're imperfect, but you know what? Honey, you can say anything to me. You can trust me to always love you. We will never, ever divorce. That's a given. And now you can relax and you don't have to be afraid anymore. And now you can open up and now you can start getting close once again. 1 John 4.18 It is the thought of punishment that is negative consequences that makes a person fearful. I told you the story when I ate a cookie when I wasn't supposed to eat a cookie and I, my mom said, Bruce, do you got a cookie in your mouth? She's facing this way. I'm facing that way in the kitchen. And I say, mm-mm. And mom says, Bruce, turn around. Crumbs all over my chin. Are you sure you didn't eat the cookie? Mm-mm. Bruce, open your mouth. Busted, right? I was like, I remember this. I'm maybe five years old, six years old. I remember this. But nobody had to teach me to lie. But why wasn't I honest with my mother? I love my mother. My mother loves me. Fear of punishment. Okay? So your heavenly father comes to you and he says, now look, Bruce, you can talk to me about anything. You can share your greatest hurts, your greatest sins, without the fear of punishment. Because I've already punished my son for you. Does it make you feel better now that you can talk to God about anything? You don't got to hide from God anymore? He's already, my son's already paid it. It's not like I thought, oh man, I didn't see Bruce was going to do that. If I'd known he was going to do that, I wouldn't have sent my son for Bruce. You don't surprise God by the sins that you've committed. He, he knew in advance and says, I'm going to die for those imperfect human beings anyway that's a good thing now i can be vulnerable with god i can talk to god about anything well how do you learn to live in god's love three daily choices quickly number one every day surrender my heart to god why because god is love and the closer i get to god the more loving i'll be the further i get from god the more fearful i will be See why it's important to stay in com- community with God and with God's people? When you miss a Sunday, it's easier to miss two. When you miss two, it's easier to miss three. And before long, a month or two goes by. And it's just easier not to come than to come. And your fear level goes back up again and you get distant from God. That's not the way to live. Get closer to God. Job eleven thirteen through 18 gives us Three commands and eight promises, if my math is correct. Command number one, surrender your heart to God. Give God your heart. That's number one. Command number two, turn to Him in prayer. Pray to Him. Talk to God every day. And then number three, give up your sins. That just simply means confess your sins. Tell God, I am sorry, even for those secret sins. And then look at the promises that flow. Number one, you won't be ashamed. You'll be confident, number two. You'll be fearless, number three. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge. Water under the bridge. Number five, your darkest night will be brighter than noon. And then number six, then you'll rest safe and secure. You'll sleep well at night. 
And then number eight, you'll be, or number seven, you'll be filled with hope. And number eight, if my math is right, you'll be empty of worry. Wow. For every promise, there's a premise. The premise is, turn your heart over to God. Pray to God and confess your sins. And then you get these eight wonderful things in your life. Number two, every day, remember the way God loves me. It is impossible to be loving to others and not be and not feel loved yourself. You've got to feel God's love to share God's love. And so every day you might want to remind yourself with little affirmations like, I am completely accepted by God. I don't have to be perfect to be accepted by God. Tell yourself, if God accepts me, then I'm going to accept me. You know, it's a myth to think. Some people think, oh man, I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. Well, if I was just perfect, then everybody would love me and everybody would like me and I would be so popular. I've I got to be perfect. And you push and you push and you push. And that's a myth. How do I know that? Because there was only one man on earth that was perfect. His name was Jesus Christ and they rejected him. You don't have to be perfect. That's already been settled. You're not. But the Bible still says in Titus 3.7, Jesus made us acceptable to God. He accepts us. Number two, remind myself, I'm unconditionally loved. And there's two characteristics of God's love. It is consistent. God's not fickled. Some of you grew up in homes where you never knew what kind of mood your father or mother was going to be in when you opened that door. Some days they were angry, and some days they were sad, and some days they were happy, and other days they were moody. Well, God's not fickled like that. God is consistent with His love. Every day He loves you with an everlasting love. And it's unconditional. It's not, I love you if you do this, or I love you because you do that. No, it's I love you (laughs) in spite of you. I just love you because you're mine. You never need to ask yourself, will God love me today? Because if you start asking that question and not just accept it, then you're going, oh, did I serve enough? Did I do enough? Oh, God must have been pleased with me today because, you know, I did X, Y, and Z. No, it doesn't even work like that. Accept His love. We always get into trouble when we doubt God's love. Isaiah 54.10 says, My love for you will never end, says the Lord. And then number three, remind yourself, I am totally forgiven. See, I think some of us think, well, God... I feel somewhat forgiven. God maybe take care of the big things, but there's all these little neck things. You're either totally forgiven or you're not forgiven at all. And if you've given your life to Christ, it's total. There's no such thing as being a little bit forgiven. Kind of like there's no such thing as being a little bit pregnant. You know, you either are or you aren't. Either you're forgiven or you're not. And if you've given your life to Jesus and you put your trust in what he did for you on the cross to take away your sins, you're in. You're in the family, 100% totally and completely forgiven. Before God made you, he says, I already knew the worst thing you would ever do, and I still love you. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That just simply means God won't condemn you once you're in the family. And Satan can't. He'll try, he'll deceive you, he'll lie to you, but he can't condemn you. And then number four, Say, I, I'm considered extremely valuable. How much do you think you're worth? What makes something valuable? The first thing depends on who owns it. 
if um, I've got a car over here with a pink slip with my name on it, and it's going up for auction, and there's another guy that's got the exact same car, even though mine may be in better shape, if this one was owned by Elvis Presley, his is going to go for more in auction, right? Why? Because Elvis signed the pink slip. It's his. There's name notoriety to that. Well, who do you belong to? You belong to God. God owns you. He holds your pink slip. You're valuable. And then number two, value depends on what someone's willing to pay for it. How much is your house worth? Let me tell you, I know exactly what your house is worth. What somebody's willing to pay for it. <laughs> right? You say, I think it's worth X amount. And so and so, I ain't got to pay that. And you can't get anyone to buy it. It becomes what people are willing to pay for it, right? That's what your house becomes worth. Well, how much am I worth? Well, look what the Scripture says. Who bought me? Who paid for me? You have been bought and paid for by Christ's death. Christ thinks I'm tremendously valuable if He was willing to die for me. Remind yourself of that. And so, one last thing. Every day, offer that same love to others. I am giving you a new commandment, John 13, 34 says, love each other in the same way I've loved you. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as I've accepted you. What does that mean? Accept one another. Well, it means what it says. Accept others like Christ accepts me. And how does Christ accept me? Totally and completely and fully. Love others the way Jesus loves me. You do the same. Forgive others like Jesus forgives me. Do the same. Value others like Jesus values me. Now, if we would do that in our marriage relationships, you think our marriages would be a whole lot better if we just started loving and accepting each other the way Jesus accepts us? I think the best advice on how to make people really feel loved is found in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Look at all these nevers here. Love never stops being patient. Never. Love never stops believing. Love never stops hoping. Love never gives up. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up right now because i only got a couple more things to say. So real love does four things. Let's put them all on the screen. Go ahead and put them up there. Love extends its grace. That means it never stops being patient. Love expresses faith. That means it never stops believing. Love expects the best. That means it never stops hoping. But one last thing, love endures the worst. Some of your relationships have gone through tremendous pain, but love hangs in there. Love endures the worst. And so I would say to you couples, that have been through it, maybe you're going through it, you're struggling, hang in there. God created marriage and He honors marriage. 
keep it strong. Let's pray about it right now. Thank you, Father, that you can heal broken hearts. You can heal broken memories, damaged self-esteem. Thank you that patterns can be erased and even reversed. Thank you that you can turn nobodies into somebodies. And even in your heart this morning, you might say, Dear God, help me to see myself the way you see me. Thank you for loving me and for sending Jesus to die for me so I could be forgiven. Jesus, today I accept your love and forgiveness and I want to learn to trust you. May the truth set me free and my life and my marriage and my relationships be transformed. And now with our heads bowed, I want you to repeat a few truths after me aloud. Repeat after me. Because of Jesus, I am acceptable. I am lovable. I am forgivable. I am valuable. And I am capable of healthy relationships. Jesus, help me to see myself through your eyes of love. Amen.